This is Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. If you drive long haul, short haul, or heavy haul, they're here to empower and inspire women in the trades on TNCRadio.live. So gear down, sit back, and enjoy. Welcome to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy DeCaro. We're a show designed to inspire and empower women in trucking in the trades and really everywhere with informative guests, experts, celebrities, and people who are champions for women. I'm Shelley and I'm Kathy. Every topic could be discussed on our rig. We talk about most everything that can help women. We want women to be the best they can be, and we like to interview guests who offer guidance to women. Deborah Greenhut, PhD is a certified professional life coach and writing teacher who helps people recreate their purpose and nurture their personal creativity. Deborah is the president of Creative Room for Learning, LLC. From 2010 to 2014, she was a vice president of the Princeton Research Forum, where she's been a member for more than 20 years. She's a prize-winning poet and festival playwright, author, photographer, and videographer. Her most recent book, The Hoarder's Wife, is published by Woodhall Press. It's a novel based on personal experience. Deborah has a wealth of insight, and we definitely want to explore maybe some of the chaos that's created when someone hoards, as well as what keeps people stuck when they lose their purpose. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you so much for being on the show with us. Thanks for having me, Shelley and Kathy. So maybe if you could start, you do so many things. This is pretty amazing. How did you get started and uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. Um, get started from how far back, Shelley? <laughs> <laughs> as far back as you want to take it. Okay. Well, I decided I wanted to be a writer when I was eight years old. And I told my mother that and she said, you're not going to make any money. You better do something else. So I set my sights on teaching um, because the other option was to be a secretary. And I decided I would enjoy being a teacher a whole lot more. So for much of my life, I have been a teacher one way or another. Uh, I've uh, taught every level from nursery school up through graduate school, various forms of writing and communication skills. I've also been a uh, corporate communication consultant. So I have taught business people better communication skills. And uh, along the way on the side, I was doing a lot of creative writing, which is part of where the hoarder's wife has sprung from. Oh, that's so neat. Communication. Oh, my goodness. You know, it, what I have noticed, even though we have some tremendous ways to communicate worldwide, people have lost the ability to communicate. And I, I'm seeing that um, more so <laughs> with the like the younger generation. They fail to uh, answer their phone. They don't uh, like to email back. It's like, uh, hello, are you there? <laughs> Have you noticed that? Yeah, every every six months or so, there's a new way to communicate. And then we abandon all the other things that everybody's using and move to that. So a lot of communication goes by the wayside. So it's often a struggle to find the most effective uh, channel to get through. It almost feels like the world has gotten ruder. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've noticed that too. Um, the way I learned to write a business letter in sixth grade is a far cry from the way I would do it now. Everybody writes in acronyms, LOL, you know? <laughs> <laughs> BTW, by the way. Right, <laughs> right exactly. <laughs> and we all said we never do it, but it's the only way to get through now because nobody wants to read too many words. 
Yes, uh, the world has gotten more impatient. It's very, mm -hmm. very true. Now, tell us a bit about your writing. You're also a videographer and photographer and playwright. What have you done and how <laughs> have you been able to use that to help people recreate their purpose? Well, for me, it, it was a 35-year struggle to leave a marriage um, to a hoarder, and I kept picking up new skills, but because of the inertia in our house, the difficulty of moving forward, I often couldn't advance on a project myself. So I spent a long time not being able to move forward, but acquiring some new skills, which I think is, is part of the way, the way out. Um, I, was, I did complete a PhD, um, most of which was done before I did get married. So I, I don't think I would have finished if I had had to confront the um, hoarding situation and other disorders before I, before I did leave. Um, I never did photography until I retired, actually, from teaching. So that's a relatively new thing for me, but I find uh, very restful and, and uh, uh, enjoyable to compose a picture. Writing words is very hard work, um, and I love to do it, but it, it takes an awful lot out of me where when you're taking a digital photo now, another benefit actually of having those computers, but uh, when you take a digital photo, you either get it or you don't. Mm -hmm. And you can spend a long time setting it up, relatively speaking, but it's nothing like trying to find the right word. You need to deal with what's in front of you. And I think that's part of reestablishing your purpose. Um, my uh, husband, who was a hoarder, actually gave me a very powerful question. He didn't use it himself, really, in the same way that I did. But And that question was, do you want what you have? because I was often frustrated because I really couldn't get a career off the ground. It would have required moving around or moving to a new place, which was something that he wouldn't do. But that question, do you want what you have? And he very much wanted that hoard for his own disordered reasons. But I finally came to a place where I had to look around and see the messy house and messy is just an understatement of what it was and say to myself, no, I don't want what I have. I want something else. Good for you. Mm. Wow. Now, I'm sure there, there, there are listeners out there who may be hoarders and they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to mm. admit it. And there are people who live with hoarders. What is considered a hoarder when you actually get to that level? Um, because people can be messy. And certainly <laughs> women, when they're so busy working and they can't balance everything, they're trying to juggle all of these tasks, the house can get out of control. What is a hoarder? And, and what is it? What's the reason? Do you know? Well, I think that's a great question, because a lot of people accuse each other of being hoarders simply for collecting. Now, the problem begins and the definition really of hoarder begins when people's collections are interfering with their ability to do daily living, like to move through the house without stumbling across uh, too much garbage or without um, encountering a pile so big you can't get to the sink or other facilities within your own house. And sometimes even the front door. We had several exits to our home blocked by my husband's piles of things by the the end of the time I was living there. And when my sons and I went back to clean out the house, um, it was much worse even than when I had left. So it, did, it didn't stop. Now there's, there's also an expression called a clean hoarder. Some people are very organized 
and they have a lot of cabinets and shelves and these don't necessarily get in the way and people don't seem to mind them as much mm -hmm. but if they are starting to obstruct your front door or something like that 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 you are in the condition of being a hoarder whether it's a mess or not um, there was a survey in 2016, I think it was, that identified that there were probably at least 19 million hoarders in the United States alone. Wow. And it is it is a global problem, too. So I was thinking, well, if you add at least one other person who's concerned about that hoarder, uh, say a spouse or, or a significant other or, or a child or an, a, a parent, um, that's close to, you know, 40 million people who are affected by this. And I think that's probably an understatement. Now that I've written this book and I'm starting to talk with people about it, almost everyone comes up to me and says, well, I know someone like that, and they're clearly concerned about it. So while it is a kind of secret, it's very much an open problem if you start looking into chat forums or um, any other place that people can have private conversations about hoarding. And the stories are essentially the same. I tried, and I can't get this person to stop. So... Uh, when we first uh, encountered the, the diagnosis um, was close to 30 years ago. And at the time, um, it was considered to be a function possibly of ADHD or OCD. And there was a chicken and egg question about which might have come first in, when that happens. But the, the remedy that was being proposed then was uh, cognitive therapy, mm -hmm. teaching people new, new behaviors. And there was a certain amount of success with that. And some people claim results as high as 70% of people being cured, but um, there is often a um, traumatic history for the person who does the hoarding. And it was my view as I watched my husband struggle with behavioral therapy, which he wasn't able to, to master, that there was some emotional reason for why this was happening. And we really weren't getting to it with the um, therapy that was available at the time. And in fact, the therapists who do CBT will often say, no, we're not going to address, excuse me, address the emotions at all. And I think that's a mistake. And the other problem that was coming up then, I, I think there are centers that deal with families now, and that is a great development, was that the family was, was kind of sidelined in all of that therapy. We were told to forget the last 20 or 30 years. We were told to um, just allow this person to develop as he wanted to. And that included things like having a second childhood and getting speeding tickets while our kids were learning to drive. And it, it just became really intolerable. And wow. I guess we're almost fortunate that my husband couldn't master this, the, uh, the therapy, the, the behavioral stuff, because he finally uh, stopped going. But at that point, of course, the hoarding became more intense because there was an unresolved issue in the background that really never was getting resolved. Have they figured out why people gather things around themselves? Is, is that a, a way of maybe providing protection from the world or is it uh, keeping a piece of themselves? Are they afraid of losing something? Do they know? Well, um, the the current working theory, and I think it's probably a good one, is that it's not necessarily a specific thing. Some people say otherwise, but um, it's a relief for anxiety okay. that people clutch the things or collect the things because it's uh, chemically re relieving some anxiety for them. 
So that's the thing they're trying to work on with medications that, that might be helpful. There are other people who speculate that childhood trauma or sexual abuse trauma um, has something to do with it because very often people who, who come in for therapy who've been traumatized also are hoarding. And there's even one theory that's been studied in the United States, uh, I know, that Holocaust survivors, and I, I um, include any survivors of genocide, I think, in that their children are rewired uh, to use hoarding as a, as a defense mechanism because the, the parents had to flee and uh, they uh, took very little with them in most cases. They weren't allowed to take anything out. So any possession became very dear and the habit of hoarding was cultivated because of all the upheaval in their lives. So that's a, a run of the explanations that I've heard of. Interesting. Now, Kathy, you experienced a hoarder, didn't you? Uh, two, actually. Okay. Um, one, it, they're two completely different um, situations. One was my, my friend, uh, uh, he helped me a lot in life and he always had this basement suite that would, you know, that kind of when I, when he, I was having Kathy moments, we'll call them <laughs> and I needed a place. So he always kept that for me, but his whole, his whole family are hoarders. It was unbelievable. I remember like his dad would live with him and his pickup truck was so filled with garbage and newspapers and stack. He only had room in his pickup for himself to drive, like everything, the entire house. There was only a small trail, just like you see on TV on that hoarder show. His house was exactly like that. And no matter how much I tried, cause he's a good friend of mine. And no matter how much I tried to um, work with him on, on, you know, helping him clear it out and, you know, and uh, talk through like mental health issues at the time. And, um, it, it didn't matter. There's no, uh, I, 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 I was unable to assist him in any way, shape or form. I'd leave for a month, I'd come back and everything was just stacked to the ceiling again. Um, so yeah, it was very difficult. And the other person was my, is my mom. And, but her, it, it was different because she had such a, a hard life and so lacked in everything all her life that once she moved in with, with me um, and there's no more financial issues and, you know, it's okay. Well, all of a sudden, um, she's collecting everything and everything and hanging on to it. And I'm like, Mom, it, you can let that go. It's okay. You know, I have money. We can we can buy more. You don't need to have you know 20 of the same thing or or whatever. And it's just it's been three years now that she's lived with me, and it's this is the first year that she's finally wanting to let go of things and we can actually go into a room and because I come now that I live in LA I, I fly back home to Canada I'm like whoa what's going on in my house here I can't even make it in the garage <laughs> so you know so now she, it's her first time actually wanting to say you know okay maybe, well maybe I don't need that anymore and and so she she's evolving and understanding that um hanging on to something isn't is no longer necessary right so yeah there's growth there for sure Oh, that's great to hear. Um, it's so seldom that you hear a story where the progress stay, stays intact after after a few years it's back, but I hope that that's not your story. Yeah, no, I don't think it is. Like uh, she, she's understanding um, that, uh, that, 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 that desperate need uh, because she was so poor her whole life, you know, living off only a few hundred dollars that uh, if, if, I, if I let it go, I won't get it again. 
right? But now after time, I mean, she's, she's comfortable. I mean, we have a good life. And so she, she sees, oh, okay, I, I can, I don't need to, to, to go to the grocery store and hoard so much food, like canned food in case it is the day that you don't need it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So there, yeah. And you don't need 20 different comforters. <laughs> I'm like, mom, it's okay. You know, <laughs> I do a lot of charity. Like you can, when you're, when you're willing to let go in one hand, you're going to get more in the other. It's just kind of like a flow. Right. Yes. And so, yeah, it's, it's, there's definite growth and I'm happy and she's happier and yeah, it's good. As for my other friend, I gave up. <laughs> I honestly gave up. <laughs> We're still yeah. friends, but I just don't go there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what happens. Your, your friends kind of drift away. Um, if you can't stop it. And uh, sometimes that hurts a family too, because one's friends are not coming by. Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors coming up. Trucking Moves America Forward, or TMAF, is building a positive image of trucking by telling the story of the hardworking drivers and industry professionals who support the industry. And you can be a part of it. Learn more about TMAF and how you can join and be a part of the industry movement working to build a strong image of trucking by visiting TMAF's website at truckingmovesamerica.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our latest channel, TikTok. Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. You must have felt you were in a constant state of chaos when you were living with this, Deborah. And because I would imagine it just kept building and building and building. It kept getting worse and worse. And there were a couple of episodes in the marriage where I found ways to not be home. Um, I was a kind of road warrior, as I was telling you and Kathy earlier, mm -hmm. um, in that I had a job where I had to, uh, I did a seminar all day, and then I drive three or 400 miles at night to get to the next place. Uh, sometimes I had the gift of an airplane flight, but most of the time I had to drive. And while I was away, of course, things would would uh, deteriorate terribly. And I, I suspect my husband was probably anxious that I was away, but he would never say that. And he seemed to be relieved that he was alone for a week at a time. And when I would come back though, I would find, well, there was one, one day he was having trouble finishing our taxes. And that was, that was the day I wrote about actually in the book and in a different way, but he had, my husband had actually hidden un, unpaid bills, checks, um, invoices that he didn't collect on and numerous amounts of money. I, I'm embarrassed to tell you how much that I found under a tarp on the porch oh, because wow. he just couldn't process the mail anymore. And when I would ask him how he was doing or how something went, he would always tell me it was under control and it was very secretive about uh, what he was doing. And I, I had no way to look at it because he wouldn't put things online so I, I wasn't able to really watch over his shoulder. But the day I found those things, I really had to create a huge revolution in how we did things. And it was the first time he let me do that. Up to that point, he didn't want me to have any knowledge. And I think in retrospect, a lot of things were going wrong that I wasn't aware of. So I may have been part of the problem, but he was just so fierce about not wanting me to look in on what was happening. So mm -hmm. it, it, maybe a way for him to control this was just hide it under a tarp. 
Yeah. Well, he would, yeah. if he would, if I would see him sticking something into a pile, I say, well, how are you going to find that letter? He said, don't worry. I have it under control. I know when I'm going to do it. And there wasn't a way. I mean, I could, sometimes I argued, I have to confess. I would say, well, if you put it there, you might forget where it is. Um, and this was all before we understood that he had ADHD. So um, I was really hopeless. Uh, it was hopeless for me to try to come up with a good reason for him not to do that. Um, but we had a terrible system in place and there was always anxiety about when the bills were going to be, be paid or when the right amount of money was in the checking account to do it because he just could not manage. And we had advice from a marriage counselor who said that he should not really be handling the finances even before we knew how serious the problem was. And he simply wouldn't take that advice. Mm. So he wanted to stay in control. Control was a big, big issue. Wasn't Very it? big issue. Yeah. And I think the anxiety came from his feelings of loss of control all the time. You know, my friend was exactly the same. It would, he would, because we're very close friends. Like we actually dated for two years before I realized I'm like, oh yeah, maybe we should just stay friends. And, um, and to this day, we're still friends. This is like 30 years later, hmm. but um, uh, he would be, it would be the same, same thing. When I would try to, out of love, you know, try and approach him and say, hey, you know, uh, it, 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 can I help you with something or, you know, let me kind of let me in. He would automatically like put that wall around him. No, I got this. And, and, mm -hmm. you know, you don't understand. And he would get very defensive. Yeah. And so I was trying different approaches and how do you, how do you do that without, you know, right. You know, stirring the pot. And even in a loving way, um, it, it was very difficult, very, very difficult. And to this day, uh, we don't really talk about that. Sometimes we just kind of keep it super, like, you know, super, not superficial, but talk about other things. And, um, what's going on in his house, right? I, I quit offering to help those too, too much. <laughs> yeah, some, some people are so resistant that it's very difficult to get through and you need a professional in there, but if they're not willing to let them come in. Um, no, yeah, might, that's the thing, uh, right? Yeah. yeah. And I, I was looking around to see what other states, do, what states do about hoarding and so on. And a lot of um, judges and police are loath to get involved in it until it becomes a public health issue. Mm -hmm. So it really has to get to its, uh, there, I guess there are five uh, stages or levels of hoarding that uh, psychologists have identified now. And it, until it gets to stage five, where the uh, animals and the rats and so on are crawling around there, mm. they don't necessarily want to try to evict someone right. uh, from a home, but they will most have some kind of hotline and it's either mental health or uh, or a department of um, health that will probably get involved and give some ultimatums. And then the family may step in and say, okay, 30 days, you have to be out if you're not gonna clean this up. Um, but sometimes the family doesn't. So I guess the, the worst possible outcome is there. You know, mentally having all of that chaos really is unsettling. And what's interesting, my mother was extremely organized and very, very tidy. Hmm. Um, when I'm busy working and so forth, I'm, I, I have the, the usual issue of things get piled here mm -hmm. or there and and i uh, gotta go deal with that um you know the paper trail that sort of thing that, that goes with business and work and all of that um i feel um unsettled it, it it's, makes me anxious and maybe even a little irritable if i don't have organization now maybe that's because of the way i was raised but that had to have been so hard for you because you 
had no control and, and there was so much resistance. It was very um, destabilizing. Um, at least the kids had their own rooms, so they had their own space to do their homework. And that that made for a little less chaos. They didn't have to find a place, but I was working and I had to grade papers at night and there was never a table that mm. wasn't covered with stuff. Um, and my husband once told me he never wanted to see an empty counter or table, that there was no reason not to be using them. And what he was using them for was filing cabinets, basically for everything oh. from microscope samples to papers to course notes to every he was a professor also so he he uh, took over all the available space but i do want to share a story to kind of represent his side of it i think i think it's important um when he was a child his parents um had a two-bedroom apartment and he had a sister and she was able to have her own bedroom but he did not have a bedroom and his bedroom was in the dining room and he had to fold up a cot every every day so that everyone else could use the dining room. And he was never allowed to put anything on the table. Okay. And I can't help but think that this must have fed into his thinking as an adult. He had his own house. He wanted to have the, the right to cover a table if he wanted to. Yeah. And it, it, that came up for us one day in a actually in a counseling session. And it was one of the saddest and most finally the most uh, clear moments that I had with him because I could start to understand what it must have felt like to grow up that way. But for me, I, I need a clean table and I, I need oh, yeah. a clean house. I just, I'm not, I, I'm not averse to clutter and I do have it and I do stack files when I'm busy, but I will clean it up. Mm -hmm. I can't think if my kitchen counter is dirty after supper or something like that. Yeah. I, if there's the stuff on there, I can't seem to focus on anything else until yep. the kitchen is clean. Then yep. I'm like, okay, now I can do it. <laughs> and yep. I'll bet you don't have stacks of things lining the walls of your kitchen either. So you have no place no. to move in it. No, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, no. Kathy, what you described, that, that's how I feel if there's clutter. I can't think straight. <laughs> You know, it's like, how can an inanimate object affect our cognitive functioning? But it does, you know. And it does. It, it, they've proved that that is true. You need a clean space. Yeah, because yeah. you feel a loss of control. How do women who are dealing with, maybe they, they personally are, are hoarders. Uh, I know that our drivers certainly would be limited in how much they can hoard on a big rig. But certainly they probably face some of the issues when they go back home, perhaps they have a hoarder there, or they themselves, things get out of control because they don't have the time to clean. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what kind of help can they get to put it back into control? Well, I think that you probably have to start small and come up with a set of rules for yourself about either the length of time that you'll keep something or how many things you would allow yourself to surround you in your workspace. And those seem like very small matters, but I think they can lead to, to bigger willingness to part with uh, a lot of junk and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Because I think you do get more secure as you a feel you have control over when it goes and B you also know you can let it go without losing it altogether without without falling apart yourself. But I think it takes a lot of time and patience. And usually a spouse or a friend is not able to do this with someone. It really has to be a professional person to help. Oh, really? So people can actually hire somebody to come in and talk people through it? 
Yes, yes. And I mean, you can go as extreme as, as a Mary Kondo specialist, I guess. Um, but I think that's too harsh for a hoarder. I don't think that's going to work. Um, but there are what, what services. Um, that's the idea that you shouldn't have anything in your environment that's interfering with your concentration or your work. So it's a very Spartan um, look to your house. And a lot of people, it's a, J a Japanese principle of, uh, I guess it uh, ties up a little with feng shui and some, some other ideas about how to clear your mind and clear your space. Okay. Um, but I don't think that most hoarders can start by just getting rid of everything in order to achieve achieve that kind of cleanliness and, and clarity. Um, but it, it's a very slow process of making some agreeable rules. The other person can never throw out anything for the hoarder. It, ha it has to be under the hoarder's control to do it or not. And it's a very painstaking process. And this is why family or friends are usually not able to sustain it for long enough. So there are professionals that you can call. Okay. And they, they can just walk the person through gradually mm -hmm. so it isn't as traumatic? Because I imagine this is traumatic to the hoarder. It is because it is giving up your security blanket for all your anxieties. And, and that can't help but be traumatic. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, I know me when I'm uh, trying to organize stuff and, and like uh, I'll run across a box with old pictures and stuff. And I spend an crazy amount of time going oh look at this and this and this pretty soon a couple hours have gone by it's like well that was a waste of <laughs> I didn't really uh, finish my job here uh, I can see where all of it could be so distracting and if you're a hoarder you're like well I want this I want yeah. this I have it to might have be this. useful someday is what hoarders say to themselves yeah I, they I might do be to... you're yeah. right yeah. oh I could use this or this is good for that or this is still it's still got some life in it you know I'm not going to throw it out and yeah. that's exactly what it is and you know and I and in my experience I was agreeing yes it is you know but do we really need to hang on to it for that day we can always go back and get another one <laughs> Right. Or maybe someone else might could use it more than we use it, you know. Right. And that's why some people advocate with with some hoarders. It works to say, OK, within six months, we either have to use it or throw it away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you yeah. can get some agreement like that. And, and it's it's really frustrating for a person who's able to throw things away to wait the six months. But and I think that's why it's hard for someone else to help you. But that seems to work. There's some control built into that. So they either scramble to find a use for it or it's going. I had an aunt who had gone through the depression and she believed that nothing should wear out. Uh, she would mm. scrape the butter off her bread. I remember her making me a, a grilled cheese sandwich. She didn't use butter. She didn't want to waste it. Mm. She, she put duct tape and packaging tape on her couch, mm. uh, duct tape on her car. She would darn her underwear. Even though, you know, she had brand new panties and that sort of thing in the drawer. She didn't want to use it. Yeah. And she had mm -hmm. money in the bank. But the way she lived was so extreme. But she'd gone through the Depression. And she mm -hmm. saw what her folks had dealt with. Mm -hmm. So it made, I think, almost miserly. Um, she denied herself. <laughs> right. Yeah, those studies were done on Holocaust and genocide. But I think... Um, I know my husband's parents uh, came over with nothing and they were big duct tape fans. And so was my husband and none of us needed to be, um, you know, if a couch needed to be replaced, it could be replaced. We could afford to do that, but he wouldn't. Yeah. I think childhood experiences really do impact 
how people yeah. function as adults. Yeah. M most definitely. Yeah. Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors coming up. Industry movement Trucking Moves America Forward is telling the story of the industry. Our safety champions, the women of trucking, independent contractors, the next generation of truckers, and more. Help us promote the best of our industry. Share your story and what you love about trucking. Share images of a moment you're proud of. And join us on social media. Learn more at TruckingMovesAmerica.com. Kathy DeCaro is nothing short of amazing. She not only drives the world's biggest truck as a heavy equipment operator in Northern Alberta, Canada. She's an international motivational speaker and the author of Dream Big, an autobiography about overcoming a lifetime of trauma and abuse that led to dreams of success. Kathy inspires people the world over to change their lives and improve their self-worth. Her book will change your life. She's passionate about personal growth and believes anyone can change their circumstances and overcome their obstacles if they believe in themselves. Her life will amaze you and seriously inspire you. Be sure to order a copy of her book, Dream Big, on Amazon.com. Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. So Deborah, how do you help people recreate their purpose and nurture their personal creativity? I find that really interesting and I wanted to touch on that too. Yeah, me too. That's really interesting. Right. Well, I think that goes back to um, one of the first questions you asked me, how did I do all of this stuff? And I think that it was having create, creative things to do that saved me and, and helped me to maintain the idea that I was um, a separate person and that I could do things. Um, you know, publishing a poem meant the world to me because I knew I could function outside of the, the house, which was essentially crumbling around me at times. Um, so I, I try to help people to recover what it was they were before they found themselves lost in, in the hoarder scheme. And uh, usually there's something, something that they very much wanted to do, but couldn't do anymore because all of this, this uh, hysteria and uh, mental disorder was disintegrating everything around them. And we would take small steps back to do that. So if you can carve out 10 minutes a day for yourself to work on something creative, you have those 10 minutes where you didn't have to feel oppressed by this huge problem anymore. So my concern is that families often get set aside and their hopes and dreams are not part of the equation when it comes to helping to rehabilitate a hoarder or those TV shows that, that uh, we all have watched at least once in, in horror. Sure. Yeah. Um, and there's always a family or a person standing on the side who looks happy, sad, you know, very kind of melancholy about the whole thing. Sometimes they're angry, but so, so more often than not, they're just a bystander, you know, being run over by a truck um, because of this problem. And I think what we have to do is coax that the 
the earlier impulses of that person back into the picture so that they can have space to do what they want to do. Um, my husband just gradually took over almost all of the closets in our house, for example. And my clothes ended up half in the attic in plastic bags because I didn't have any place to hang them. Wow. And meanwhile, he kept uh, piling up clothing and shoes all over the house. So I think bit by bit, you have to learn to take back your space. And it mm -hmm. probably means at some point that you're not going to be able to live there because the, if the hoarding is not controlled, you won't have any to take back. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's like uh, establishing your own personal boundaries. Yes, you mm -hmm. love that other person and you want to help them but you have to be careful to not get lost in their problem, yes, right? And yeah. so by firmly establishing your own set of boundaries and say, what will I tolerate or what won't I tolerate, regardless of the love you might have for that person, it can be very difficult to actually do that because we want to help and we want to, you know, we want to do all that we can. And where where do you draw that line is is the hardest thing where do you say okay this is enough and i i need to disengage myself step back a little bit before i get lost in his or his or her problem right mm -hmm. it's very hard exactly like it wasn't enough for me to work in a smelly basement anymore i just i couldn't do it um, at a certain point, I was freelancing from home and I, I just found the house was so oppressive. I'd have to go outside somewhere to work or out, you mm -hmm. know, to a coffee shop or someplace. And I, I can write in a coffee shop, but I also wanted to have my own writer room. I own it. Um, I mean, there's that classic statement Virginia Woolf said a woman writer must need, must have a room of her own in order to write. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even get, you know, a four by four square place in the house where nothing would be piled to obstruct my ability to work there. So mm -hmm. um, that's one of the most important things is to learn to insist that you have some creative time, even if it's just five or 10 minutes for starters, and have some boundaries that you can have your own space. And I would say if this doesn't work, that this relationship is probably not going to work for you. Um, so I may be coaching people who, who want to leave, but who aren't able to muster the wherewithal, but I can show them what the future looks like. My book shows them what the future looks like. And I think it's important for people to think ahead a little bit. I just waited too long and let too many things pile up. So there's been a lot, a lot that I had to repair as well. You probably felt like the world was closing in on you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very much so. And also the house was falling in on us at some, in some places. And it, oh, I, wow. It was just difficult to entertain that we were going to be able to stay there. He didn't want to fix it, um, wouldn't let me call a contractor, and there were holes in the roof to the sky. Oh my and goodness! Rain was coming in, and he just didn't seem to see why it was important to do something about that, that's... or just couldn't couldn't fix it. Oh, yeah, that's a safety issue, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Also, a mildew issue. There's so mm. many and animals. Uh, you know, I and I don't. In looking back, I'm surprised at myself, but I love this man. And I, I just went, you know, house blind to so many things sure. that were happening. And that's the thing I think is uh, as a life coach, I can help people to hear themselves when they describe it. I mean, I would describe it almost with a sense of humor as if it was happening to someone else and it was happening to me and I couldn't acknowledge that. And that that's where I think I can be very helpful as a life coach. 
What are you saying about your own environment? Sure. I imagine there's an element of shame when somebody lives with a hoarder or the hoarder themselves. Uh, It's hard for them to really admit it because they know it's wrong inherently, but they don't really want to acknowledge it. They don't want to change either. You probably didn't have a whole lot of people coming over to visit. No, we actually started off our marriage. We used to entertain a lot. We enjoyed having people over for dinner. And bit by bit, it became very difficult to clear the table to have people in or to even have ultimately a chair to sit on. And one one Thanksgiving, very near the end, end of my married life, my children came home for Thanksgiving and they didn't bring their girlfriends. They told us they would never bring them into our house. They, you know, that they were ashamed and there was no place for them to sit at the table. And my husband kept procrastinating, moving anything, and he wouldn't let anyone else clean up so that we could sit down. And I just, this is, you know, completely, forgive me, nuts that, that we can't move this man to open up a place for dinner, you know, and, and it's so, it was so mystifying to me that he couldn't see. I mean, I looked at it, I would look at his face when he was insisting he was going to do it, but didn't. And he would look so ashamed that we had come to this, but I don't think he understood how he, or could come up with a way that he could stop it, or at least stop it when the children came home. And I know that for a long time, they felt ashamed of bringing people home, but I will say that their own friends were so supportive of them and they would come over, ignore the mess and never say a word about it. And somehow they got through school and they were able to, to leave the house finally and not bring anyone back there and, yeah. and to function. And um, I guess we kind of created a culture of helping each other in the house and trying to support each other that was almost detrimental when it when the hoarding finally became too overwhelming for us. Um, so we were working almost against ourselves and trying to say, well, dad has a problem. You know, we know that he's not able to fix it um, and kind of just moving around that issue for a long time. So I don't recommend that. I don't I don't think it was good for anyone. And I'm grateful that we survived and I still have a relationship with my kids. Those were your coping skills, though. People adapt the best way they can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do. Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors coming up. TNCRadio.live is proud to carry the Steve Summers Overnight Drive Show. TNC Radio.Live is dedicated to commercial drivers. We offer the news, traffic, and weather you need, and the entertainment, sports, talk, music, and celebrity interviews you want to hear 24-7. We have original shows and trucker podcasts that feature some of your favorites, like Ice Road Alex Demogorski and America's Truckin' Sweetheart Marcia Campbell. TNC Radio.Live is convenient and designed for professional drivers. The best part is we're free, and you can listen anywhere you are on the road. With just one tap, you can tune into Steve Summers and us right on your phone. Simply download our app by going to app.tncradio.live. That's app.tncradio.live. Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro.
So where can people find your information, a creative room for learning? Can people reach out to you remotely and, and can they talk to you about most any type of things? Maybe they're not dealing with a hoarder, but they want to recreate their purpose that somehow they've lost. I think a lot of people have been really rethinking things since the pandemic of who am I? What is my purpose? What do I want mm-hmm. to do with the rest of my life? Yes, uh, I can certainly be reached at uh, creativeroomforlearning.com. That's one place. Uh, there's an intake form there, so you, you can uh, mail a request, email a request in through the form. I have my own website um, that I use mostly for information about the book, which is deboragreenhut.com. So I can take, uh, I have a form on that as well, so you can reach me that way. And as a life coach, I don't simply focus on hoarding. Um, I think there are too few people who are willing to come out of the shadows just yet, even though everybody has a problem with it. Um, But I'm happy to work on more um, or less volatile issues with people as well, and have been certainly a time management consultant and uh, um, mostly a goals clarification consultant, though. We can talk about what it is you really want to do and help you recognize that and then set some good working rules for yourself. And I can keep you accountable. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I imagine a lot of people have goals. I know as children, we have dreams and goals and that sort of thing, but somehow they get sidetracked. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you bring people back on track. That's the goal, yes. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to talk a little bit before we go. Do we have time, Shelley? Oh, yeah. We, we have about three it's, minutes or so. That would be true. Okay, just about purpose, about losing purpose. Um, I, when you say you bring people back to their purpose, I, my best friend, she died uh, last year. She was, she had her purpose was she was working with the Salvation Army going worldwide, um, <clears throat> working with human trafficking and, you know, raising awareness and that. And the minute that that ended for whatever reason, and she, she fell into a big depression because she lost her purpose. She couldn't figure out what it was she was supposed to do because she had held such a high kind of like profile uh, venues all over the world with human trafficking and the Salvation Army that once that ended, she was completely lost. And I find that to not just with her, like she ended up relapsing into drugs and then ended up dying. Hmm. But um, I find that even like for myself, when when things are shifting for my, my, my sense of purpose in life, I find it very difficult to realign myself. I'm lucky enough that I'm focused and I have that inner fire that pushes me to do something, but most people don't. So what do you recommend for, for someone that's, that's kind of in between that's lost their purpose that, that don't really know where to go or how to change? I think the things that have been most helpful to me, I mentioned the question that my husband gave me, which he didn't answer quite the same way I did. Uh, do you want what you have? Usually sets off a train of thought that gets people to think about, well, what do I want? Um, and I also had a, a terrific teacher in graduate school who I also worked with on a, on a, a research project. And she said, what do you want to do? And very often we don't say that to each other. We, you know, people are trying to take control away, so they're not going to ask you what you want. But if you're fortunate to either have someone who will ask you or to be able to ask yourself that question, often the purpose will come out of that conversation you need to have with yourself. Um, I 
I thought my life was over in a way when I had to end an academic career. I just couldn't find any more part-time assignments. And I, I didn't really want to be an administrator. I wanted to be a teacher. Um, I was told I was too old at 45. So that was the first time that happened. But I did continue as a teacher up through the age of 60 or so. And I'd be happy to teach again if, if uh, someone wants to have me do that. So I think life coaching was a way of extending uh, teaching for me, because I am teaching other people how to do it. Certainly. Absolutely. Wow. 45. Since when is that too old? <laughs> well, I stood up in the middle of the room and I said, you can't say that to me. That's illegal. And the Good person said to me, I just did. Whoa. Um, wow. So, and but, the problem is, of course, if you sue that institution, you're not working anywhere. Oh, exactly. So, can't do that. And that's not something they'd say to a man. Probably not. Mm -hmm. Probably not. Yes, which is what um, a lot of our listeners deal with. Uh, they, they have to prove themselves, even though women can drive probably better than men. I agree. Yes, yes. <laughs> I hesitate to say, but perhaps more carefully, too. Yes. Well, Kathy, don't you, isn't the statement, women don't drive it like they stole it? Yeah, that's what I say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can I steal that? That's great. Absolutely. There you go. There, there you go. Yeah. My, my bosses said that at work. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, right. We do have a lot of question tools that we can use to help prompt the discussion. I, I like to start with that one. Do you want what you have? But I think there are many ways of, it's kind of like sticking the sword into the box. Forgive me with the woman in it. You know, you just keep probing until you hit something that that sure. feels like a person um so that's not the best image i could come up with but but it is magic of a sort you know that yeah. conver conversation where you finally find it again and people are finding themselves again because they're lost and, yeah. and you're helping them i mean that probing is is so necessary yeah this is most yeah. excellent well, without the pandemic, I would not have written the novel. I never would have had that kind of time available, yeah. I don't think. So I'm grateful in a, in a curious kind of way that that time was there. A lot of people are saying that. It, it really has been a time of creativity for, for many people and a time of regrouping and deciding, who am I? So, yes. Yeah. This has been a pleasure, Deborah. You are a tremendous insight. And I think you're going to continue to help a lot of people. I know anybody listening to this it may even be motivated to reach out to you and say, hey, I need, I need some assistance here. That would be great. And I, I so appreciate the opportunity to talk with both of you today. It's been really enriching for me. Well, thank yeah, no, you. It's been wonderful. I, I really, really enjoyed this. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, thank you, Deborah. I'm really glad we had a chance to talk to you and yeah. learn more. And this is going to motivate people, I would think, to pick up your book. Um, uh, thank you very much. And I'm going to be listening to you a lot more. I, I really have appreciated the the episodes I've listened to. And you're very thoughtful and, and concerned about the people that you work with. So thank you for that. Thank you. We're really enjoying it. We love helping women. Thank you, Deborah, for being on the show. We really appreciate it. You've been listening to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. If you want to be a guest on the show or have a topic or feedback, email us at info at tncradio.live. Thank you for listening to another great interview on tncradio.live 
All of the material you hear on TNCRadio.live on our website, our broadcasts, or our podcasts are copyrighted. There can be no distribution without the express consent of TNCRadio.live and its partners. For inquiries, write us at info at TNCRadio.live.